A few weeks ago, I was at annual conference and I had this fascinating lunch with one of my young colleagues. We were at a group meeting and while everybody else was diving into the build your own burrito bar from Chipotle, he had this Tupperware full of white rice and plain chicken and he was heating it up in the microwave. And we stood there on opposite sides of this counter, he waiting for the microwave and me considering whether I wanted pinto beans or black beans and I asked him about his food. He told me he brought his food for the entire week of annual conference. He brought it all from home. I said, what? <laughs> I mean, I understand frugality, but this, this felt like next level to me. What was it that was motivating him for all that extra effort? Well, he hemmed and he hawed a little bit, but finally he told me it's because he was trying to control his portions very carefully and he wanted to be able to weigh and measure all of his food and know exactly how many calories he was eating. Now, this guy is very fit, so I must have had a pretty surprised look on my face because he told me, well, I'm doing it because I'm, I'm, I'm really into natural bodybuilding, and so I'm cutting calories to get as lean as possible, and then I'll go to a phase where I, where I eat a lot extra and I build up a lot of muscle. And he kept talking and kept talking. He was really into it, okay? So I stood there, kind of amazed at his discipline, amazed at his commitment, and then I put extra guacamole on my lunch. <laughs> we went outside to a picnic table and sat down to eat lunch with a few others, and pretty soon they were asking the same colleague about his phone. Well, what phone, I asked. And they said, oh, you haven't heard about his phone yet. And so they told him, you got to pull out your phone. You got to show her. So he pulled out this phone. It's called the light phone. And it's a dumbed down smartphone, meaning it doesn't do all the kinds of stuff that we expect our phones to do. He, he pulled out this little gray rectangle. It looked kind of like if an iPhone 12 and a pager had met and had a baby, okay? And he told me that he could get turn-by-turn -turn directions on it, like, because it has GPS, but he couldn't get a map because there's no color on the screen. He can send text messages with it, and he can make phone calls with it, and that's it. That's it. The point is to keep you from wasting the entire day staring at your screen. I was intrigued. I sometimes think wistfully of the days before I had my phone right next to me all the time to distract me. Does it have a camera, I said. No camera. I said, forget it, I can't handle it. I can't live without my camera. He told me he'd been carrying this light phone for about two months, and I said, well, how's it going? And he said, well, he likes it, but he admits it's really hard to not have the conveniences of the latest iPhone or Samsung in his pocket. He wasn't sure if this was something that he could stick to long-term. So I walked away from that lunch both impressed and a little unsettled by my colleague. I mean, it's really clear that he wants discipline in his life. He wants to set limits. He, he doesn't want to overindulge in ways that he knows are bad for him. That's pretty impressive. He wants to live a healthy and a whole life. And, and I want those things too. But can I do the things he's doing? Do I want to? Will his methods really result in a happier life? Are they worth all the time, the energy, the commitment that he's putting into them? Now, I'm not trying to tear him down this morning. I'm really not. He's pursuing something that, that a whole lot of people try and pursue. He wants to live a balanced, thoughtful, disciplined life. 
And, and I think that I tried to pursue that in my own way. It's just that my way involves a lot more cookies than his does. <laughs> so the truth is that there are so many different ways that the people around us are trying to pursue a healthy, happy, whole life. If we're feeling uncharitable, we can call their methods fads or trends or crusades. But if we're feeling charitable, what we might say is that they are seeking wisdom. They are trying to live their lives guided by wisdom. Now, I don't know if wisdom is actually to be found in a smartphone that can't receive email. Maybe it is. But I do know that the pursuit of wisdom is something that is worthwhile. So this week and for the next several weeks, we're going to just dip our toes into a part of the Bible that's called wisdom literature. The wisdom literature of the Bible includes Job, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Proverbs. Now, Job and Ecclesiastes are really hard books, so we're not going to talk about those in this series. <laughs> Though actually, we're going to have a sermon series on Job coming up in November. But the third book, the book of Proverbs, it's a lot easier to jump into, to hear what the Bible has to say about wisdom for the person of faith. Proverbs is not something we usually spend much time in in worship. We often neglect it because it's just this book full of short little sayings. There's no story in it. There's no poem even. There's no sustained argument anywhere. And the Proverbs in the book, they're not even very well organized. It's not like you can turn to say, okay, chapter 7 is about anger. I'm going to read all the Proverbs about anger. No, you have to claw through the entire book to see all the places that the sages had something to say about anger. The book just moves from one subject to another without a sense of organization. So it's this long collection of short sayings meant to instruct us and counsel us about how to navigate in the world, about how to live the good life. They're short little sayings meant to be remembered and then applied to life. But Proverbs in the Bible, they're nothing unique to the Bible. Proverbs are nothing new. Every culture, every generation has its own list of Proverbs. You probably know hundreds of them, even if you don't regularly use them, and you understand in general what they mean, like a stitch in time. Good, saves nine. You can't teach an old dog. A penny saved is... Never judge a book, look before you, the pot calling the kettle, an apple a day, those who live in glass houses, practice what you preach. Oh, that's for us, practice what you preach. We could go on all day like that. You guys batted 100, good job, you got them all right. We collect these old sayings even if we have no idea where they come from because we find some kind of truth in them. We find some resonance in our lives. Proverbs seem to help us interpret our experiences. They help us learn lessons. They help us make sense of things. And the funny thing is Proverbs can do that even when they contradict one another. Consider that most people will affirm that opposites attract. But in another context, they'll say birds of a feather well, those mean opposite things. <laughs> now, most of the book of Proverbs is just like that, just like this list of Proverbs that we just named off, short sayings and two, twos or threes that offer counsel and insight. But unlike the Proverbs of our grandmothers, these Proverbs are infused with holy insight, with divine wisdom. They're sayings that come from the inspiration of God, and they move us closer to a God-honoring life. So Proverbs tells us things like, a wise child makes his father glad, but a foolish child is grief to his mother. 
or hatred stirs up disputes, but love covers all offenses, or better a little with virtue than a large income with injustice. Or, how about this one? Gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained by virtuous living. That's good news for some of us, right? Or, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will himself also call and not be heard. So, as hard as it can be for us to read in large portion in church, there's a lot of great things packed into the book of Proverbs. It has a lot of treasures And as we read it, we're taught about the kind of life that gives glory to God. and, And wonderfully, God doesn't ask us to live a life that brings drudgery or pain. God wants us to be disciplined in our living, but not in order to make us suffer. God wants us to thrive. God wants us to have joy. God wants us to flourish. That's what God has saved us for, for a life of hope and a life of joy. It's just that we need help knowing how to get there. And Proverbs helps us get there. It's important to remember Proverbs is not a book that someone just sat down and wrote from start to finish. It's an anthology, like gathering up Israel's wisdom tradition from all kinds of sources. You might have heard that King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and that's what tradition says, just because he's the wisest king in all of Israel, the Bible says. But most scholars think that's not true. I mean, maybe he had a part in writing a portion of it, but not the whole thing. Uh, It just was a way to give the book authority to say that it came from the hand of Solomon. But really, it's a collection of collections edited over several centuries. So for each week of this series, I've picked three or four Proverbs on a theme for us to consider together. And today's passages are all about wisdom in general, sort of answering that question, why care about wisdom at all? So the first one, Proverbs 1-7 says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This this verse can be kind of a motto for the whole book of Proverbs, like a summary of the theological themes of the book. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. In other words, wisdom is a byproduct of our faith in God. And we don't talk really ever about the fear of the Lord, but it's language that we'll find a whole lot in the Bible Having fear of the Lord does not mean being terrified of God, okay? Does not mean being terrified of God. God is not mean. God is not a bully. God is not capricious. God is not unpredictable. God is the opposite of all those things. God is kind. God is loving. God is forgiving. God makes promises and then keeps them. God is trustworthy. God is gracious. So we don't have to be afraid of God to fear the Lord means instead to to stand in awe of God. It means to hold God in the highest respect, to treat God with the greatest honor. Like I was thinking about here, it's July 4th holiday, and and how we might say that that we fear the power of the Constitution, or or we fear the Declaration of Independence, like, like we're in awe of them this weekend. If we go visit the Library of Congress and we stand there in front of those original documents under their big glass cases and, and we think about all that's happened since they were written, we, we might tremble a little to think how important and how powerful they are. So fear of the Lord is like that, but a but hundred times more because we're talking about God, not about a document written by human hands. To fear the Lord means to acknowledge God's sovereignty and God's wisdom, above human power and human wisdom. Like Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 says, 
Now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you? And then it answers for us, only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord for your own well-being. So fear of the Lord is another way to describe faith. Not just that we trust God, not just that we worship God, but that we orient our whole lives around God and we live the way God teaches us to live. We put God first in every aspect of our lives. And the proverb tells us that is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then later in the book, we read these three proverbs. Walk with wise people and become wise. Befriend fools and get in trouble. There is a path that might seem straight to some, but in the end, it's a path to death. And the road of those who do, not, who do right turns away from evil. Those who protect their path guard their lives. Now, maybe you noticed in all three of these verses, the writer compares life to a road says that we are walking a road called life, which raises the question naturally, well, where is it that we're headed? When I was reflecting on these verses this week, thinking about life as a road, this song kept repeatedly popping into my head. I bet you know it. Life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night long. I thought, oh, Amy, you should look up the lyrics to see if there's any kind of insight in the lyrics to help us understand the Proverbs. No, there's not. (laughs) It's actually one of those songs that doesn't really say anything, but it's fun to sing. So no real deep meaning there, but if it helps you to remember this metaphor from the book of Proverbs, you feel free to just sing it to yourself in your head. Life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night long. Well, in, in that first one, 1320, the writer reminds us that on this highway of life, it matters with whom we're walking or riding He says walking because he didn't know about cars or motorcycles or whatever that song is about, life is a highway. But walk with wise people and become wise. Walk with wise people and become wise. That feels sort of obvious, but I don't know how often we go out and seek wise relationships. We seek people who are wiser than we are to learn from them. Think about in your own life. Who would you name as most wise? And what are you doing to invest in a relationship with them? I have a good friend who's really good at this. He knows that he needs wise people in his life, so he has sought them out. Specifically, as his church has grown bigger and bigger, he's wanted mentorship and friendship from people who have also pastored large churches. So several times during his ministry, he's found someone he considers a good leader, and he simply calls them and says, hey, I want to be in a mentoring relationship with you. Is it okay if I call you every few months and we just talk? And you know what? They've always told him yes. He wants to learn. He thinks that they have something that he needs, and, and he tells them why he wants their wisdom, and they're willing to help. So think about your own life. Where is it that you could benefit from some mentorship? Where do you need a wise friend? Maybe to help you as you parent or as you seek to be an excellent wife or a wonderful husband? Do do you need someone wise to walk beside you in your career right now? Or as you retire, do you need a retirement mentor? Or do you need someone wise to walk with you as you think about your final decades of life 
and what the end of your life looks like. No matter where we are on the road of life, this proverb holds true. Walk with wise people and become wise. Befriend fools and get in trouble. Then the last two proverbs for today remind us that there's a possibility of real danger on this road of life. There is a path that might seem straight and good at first. It might be appealing, it might be pretty, but the end of it is death. The road of those who do right turns away from evil. Those who protect their path guard their lives. Like there are real consequences to the choices we make to the road that we're on. Just because we're moving forward, that doesn't mean that we're headed somewhere good somewhere healthy, somewhere faithful. So reflect, what, what mile markers are you looking for? What, what are the goals that you're striving after on your road of life? Are they things that lead to life, or do they only look good now, but they're going to bring ruin eventually, or end up being hollow? I think about this in terms of young people today who have dreams of going viral, of being a YouTube star. Like little kids, when you uh, say, I'm going to take a video of you. So, you know, sometimes they'll say, make sure and like and subscribe, right? Because they know that's what you say on YouTube in order to get more hits. Make sure you like and subscribe. Hopefully, uh, they're hoping that they'll be able to strike it rich someday simply by being entertaining online. Now, racking up thousands of views, becoming famous on YouTube, it might seem like it's going to result in a happy and healthy life. It's a road that looks straight to some but I suspect it can also end in death, or at least pain, or at least heartache, at least emptiness, at least regret. So TikTok fame might be the dream of teenagers, but I know that adults are no less prone to strive after things that end up being empty. The road that you're walking, where is it headed? What's the end goal? What are the mile markers along the way that you're looking for? And if you don't know, if you don't have an answer to that right now, I'd encourage you to take a moment of reflection this week and just write down what you hope is at the end of the road that you're walking. What's a goal that you have, or two or three, for the end of your life? And once you name them, once you put them on paper, evaluate to see if they're God-honoring goals if they fit inside the picture of abundant life that we have on scripture, and then ask yourself, am I headed in the right direction? The Bible encourages us to seek wisdom, first of all, from its pages, also from a life of prayer and discipline. And we seek wisdom, trusting that God wants to bless us, always God wants to bless us with insight, with help, with direction, and ultimately with joy. So as we walk this road of faith, may we trust in God, the author of all wisdom and love. Thanks be to God. Amen.